0: Ready? hi good morning my name is Amy and I'm a compulsive eater hey. and I'm glad to be here on this uh, Sunday Easter morning with you all I'm glad you all came um, so just to qualify briefly I've been in OA since April 22nd of 2002 um, and I've been abstinent since that date and I'm maintaining about 140 pound weight loss um, And when I came into OA back in 2002, I was introduced to the big book um, Mm -hmm. as a way of working the steps in this program. And I consider myself fortunate because um, I think that has a lot to do with the reason why I got this program. I mean, yes, I was desperate, and yes, um, I was willing to do whatever you guys told me to do. Um, which I think also, as we'll talk about in the uh, big book, also played a big part. But I believe that um, I was fortunate to have come across a group and, you know, a bunch of people that were working this program as it's laid out in the big book. Um, And so with that, uh, we're going to start right in the doctor's opinion. Um, I'm not going to read it word for word or anything. So just so you know, we're going to split it up, so I'm going to take... 15 minutes on the doctor's opinion, then uh, Suzanne's going to take 15 minutes on Bill's story, then we'll go back um, to me, 15 minutes on there's a solution, and then back to Suzanne for the final 15 minutes in more about alcoholism. Um, and so in the doctor's opinion, you know, um, the doctor here is, of course, uh, William Silkworth, and, um, you know, a psychologist that had have been working with Um, many alcoholic men um, and was not having a lot of success with um, some of those really hard drinkers Uh, and so he until um, you know this a couple of men um, found a way out and so here he's writing to say you know uh, traditionally you know psychologists always thought that it was, you know, matter of willpower, matter, of, you know, um, them not not being, you know, mentally strong enough or whatever. And I'm here to tell you that that's not that's not my experience. And um, listen to this group of people here. Um, so he talks about saying, um, you know, if he right off he starts off with on page XXVI with the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So. Right in the, you know, he, ha- he has his first, you know, short little letter, and then um, we talk about, <clears throat> you know, in his statement, he confirms what well, we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe. And then he, um, it goes on and it talks, you know, this is Bill talking, in our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out the physical factor is incomplete. Um, so then, you know, Bill talks a little bit more, the one important part on the bottom of page XXVI, that I think is um, where Bill says it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has done a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. And um, you know, basically, he's saying that you have to put the substance down first before we can start talking about this depth, before we can start talking about the solution. Um, your mind has to be cleared of the fog that this substance is introducing to us. Um, another thing that I found interesting is today in OA, our, our message um, today has the same problem that AA had back in the 30s. So in the 30s, they were, a lot of people believed that it was just like if you were not mentally strong enough, then you couldn't get in. Well, doesn't that, doesn't that can you just move up? I'm talking as loud as I can. Can you hear me better? Um, so, today in OA, um, we we hear that same message in society, right? We hear that, oh, if you know, just use a little bit of willpower, eat moderately, whatever. Um, we don't get that same message that's in that we hear, um, you know, that Alcoholics Anonymous has that they discovered. It's not just about your mind. It's not about having a lot of willpower. It's also, um, you know. A, body, a bodily thing. So I, I found that interesting that, you know, in the 30s, they had this problem, this, you know, um, perception of why people were alcoholics, why they were heavy drinkers. And I think today we have that same problem in our society. Like our, our society has not, they don't understand the alcoholism, you know, the way alcoholism is, alcoholism is understood today, we don't understand, society as a whole does not understand that about food addicts yet. Um so then Dr. Silkworth goes on in his letter to talk about, um, you know, he, he, he talks about his many years of experience. And then he says um, one of the things that helps them is they believe in themselves at the bottom of page XXVII and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. So he's saying, like, they believe in themselves, but that's not enough. They have to also believe in this power greater than themselves. And then he says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. <clears throat> and this often requires a definite hospital procedure. Um, before psychological measures can be a maximum benefit, so again, you have to put down the food. We have to put down the substance before we can start thinking about anything else. Um, so then he starts he starts breaking it down. Okay, what is it that they? What else do they have to do? Um, and then he says. I, I love where he says these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. So right at the start, he's like, okay, first got to put it down, and now here's some more bad news. You can't pick it back up. <laughs> um, and then, <clears throat> he's again, he's hitting the spiritual part of the uh, program again in the next chapter. Um, you know, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. There's, and if you think about that, too, like there's so many times that, my mom or my husband or somebody would be like, why can't you just not eat all that? Like, why? Like, I don't understand, you know. Um, But then, you know, it says right here, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And there is no way that anyone that did not have this program would have known that. Like, no one was saying, Amy you know, why don't you find a power greater than yourselves and then you could, st- you know, stop thinking about the food. <laughs> no one knew that. <clears throat> um, and then at the bottom of page XXVIII, I think there's three I's there, um, he says, he talks about why, why do they do this? Why do why they continue to drink even though they know it's going to cause all these problems in their life? And he says, when men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, and, you know, that was true for me. I like that effect. I like that numbing effect. And um, I liked being sedated. I like feeling full. Even today, you know, some people eat and they're like, oh, God, I feel full. And I'm like, yeah. Like, I like that feeling. Um, and that's and I, I just how I'm made. You know, it's because, because they like the effect. You know, it, it's pretty simple. Um, and then, you know, it talks about, you know, that sensation is so elusive. Um, so for us, um, you know, it, it can be like that first bite of something, that can be really elusive. That first, like, oh, man, that tastes so good. Um But then after, you know, a hundred bites, it's like, why? Like, I can still remember, like, you know, shoving the food in my mouth, being like, why am I still eating this? Like, I don't even want this. Um, But I was chasing that elusive feeling, that elusive, oh, man, that's so good. Like, I just wanted, if if that could have happened on every single bite, I don't know if I would ever put the food down. (laughs) Um, And then it says they cannot differentiate the true from the false. And... Um, he talks too about their alcoholic lives seems like the only normal ones, and that was so true. like I just thought this was how life was going to be like this is like life is meant to be chaotic it 's meant to be like just never knowing what 's going to come next, just always looking over my shoulder like um, like afraid like I just thought that was life, and I thought you know this disorganized, chaotic um, hating myself. You know, wondering like not being able to figure out why i couldn't stop eating, like oh, I just thought that was normal um and then it's that it says um they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks and there's two things there: one is you know when i 'm not eating, in other words, when I get abstinent, that's when I am restless, irritable, and discontented um unless as we go on to see unless I, you know, work these uh, steps and have a spiritual experience and then, but if I don't, if I just put down the food, so if I'm on a diet, I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. And that is so true. Every single time I was on a diet, it was like, when is this diet going to be over? As soon as I lose this weight, you know, like my next binge was planned out. Um, And then in the top of page xxix he says unless this person can experience an entire psychic change there's very little hope of his recovery Um, and i think that is just so important because um, you know like i i could i could put down the food i could work the steps i could go to meetings i could use all of the tools but if i don't do something that's going to bring about that psychic change I don't have i don't have a chance and um, so for me like that psychic change it's i've had like a couple of like the sudden you know like white light I want to say kind of experiences, but I've also had the subtle of um, you know just continuously working the steps that kind of psychic change that happens but um, but I need to dig down and I need to like really look at my stuff in order for that to happen first, I needed to really surrender and really say i'm beat and i'm re- I, Tell me what to do, uh, and to me that was, the, and and I got that feeling of like, you know, that piece of like, okay, this 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 is what you, this is it, this is it, and um, for me that was like my first psychic like, change when I first the first time I hit my knees and said, "Tell me what to do." <clears throat>
1: um,
0: then he, then in the next uh, paragraph it says. Um, Once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. In other words, the 12 steps. Um, So then, I'm going to finish up here. So then he goes on to say... um, I don't hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. Um, and But, so then then he starts talking, here he's talking about the physical. So he's talking about people, you know, mentally they're saying, okay, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, and then they take a drink. Then they say, the phenom- he says the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests. So, um, and then at the top of page XXX, these men were not drinking to escape; they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. So basically, he's saying, um, once we put that substance into our bodies, we're doomed. Like we can't stop once we start. Um, and you know, that's it's, you know, that two that twofold factor of. You know, once we put down the food or the drink or this, we put the substance down. Um, you know, the rest of the the book goes on to talk about we have to work the steps so that we don't, you know, take that first bite. But if we take that first bite, the phenomenon of craving starts, and then we we don't have another choice. Like we um, we have that craving beyond our control, um, and it's paramount to all other interests. And I loved that because that was, that was my life, and I could never figure that out. All of the diets that I went on, I never put down my, my red light foods. You know, I just had them in smaller amounts, you know, um, or I had them, you know, I had like my red light foods include sugar and flour, and so I had them in other things, but it was like I was eating them in smaller portions or whatever. That was my diet. But I still wanted more and more and more, and I, could never, I never could figure out why. Now I know because I was constantly introducing the allergy back into my body. Um, so then uh, let's see. And then he, oh so and then the rest of here on he, uh, the page XXX, he's talking about the different types of alcoholics, you know, like the there's um, uh, the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol. A has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. And then in my notes I wrote me, haha. <laughs> um, but then, um, but in it says, they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. So he's like really hammering this point home because who wants to be at, who wants to abstain entirely? You know, no addict does. Um, so, but then he says, the only relief we have to suggest this entire abstinence Um, and then this immediately uh, precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate Um, and you know I've that's I think that's so true if I think about all the people that I've sponsored and when we start I say okay let's talk about your food history let's let's write down the foods you know your binge food let's talk about red lights yellow lights green light foods there's so much resistance because they don't want to give it up. And to me, like, that is our, our cauldron of debate. Um, and, um, and until and until we can become entirely willing to say, yes, these are my red light foods, and, yes, I'm putting them down, we're never, I, I don't think, we're never going to stop introducing the allergy. And so we're always going to have the phenomenon of craving, and we don't really stand a chance. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Amy. Um, hi. Good morning. My name is Suzanne. I'm a compulsive overeater and food addict. Hi, I'm Suzanne. Re- recovered, I should say. Um, to qualify, um, I first came into the rooms of OA in ooh, 1989 and uh, did your basic dieting with group support for decades. Um, and... I didn't really get this program until um, several years ago Um, and so consequently I'm a cautionary tale uh, (laughs) and I can tell you all the wrong ways to do this program and um, had experienced a lot of relapses as a a result of it Um, but I came back to stay in 2010. And I am down from my top weight, which I don't know what, it, what that is because I stopped weighing myself at 320 pounds. Um, but I do know the pain of not fitting in the airplane seats, um, not being able to wipe myself in the bathroom, uh, being the heaviest person in the room, um, no matter what room I was in. Uh, it's, it's a painful life. And... Um, So I'm thankful I don't have that today, physically. Mentally, I'm thankful that food does not control my thoughts. Actually, I don't even think about food, which is pretty much the biggest miracle in my life. So for that, I'm thankful, and for that, I have this program to owe. So we're going to go into Bill's story. And I know that when I used to read this book, Bill's story was interesting from a historical perspective because he was the founder of this program, but other than that, it really didn't mean anything to me until I really understood that it really, he's, you know, I am him. How, how is it that I can relate to this man who lived so long ago, who's a man, who's an alcoholic, who, you know, was a stock speculator, I, I don't, how could I relate? Here's how I can relate. So, and I'm not going to go word for word in, into this either, but um, so in I'm on page one. Uh, in Bill's story, he talks about liquor, and the way that I see it, it first accentuated his life, right? Then it interfered with his life. Then it became his life, and then it nearly took his life. And it's the same with me, you know? It definitely, food accentuated my life. When I was a kid, it was all about birthdays and holidays and what was the food. I loved my birthday because I got my birthday cake and I loved Christmas and Easter and all that because of candy, candy, candy. And then it interfered with my life because, you know, I I gained the weight. It interfered with me socially. I didn't date. Um, It interfered with my job promotions um, as we'll go through and all that stuff. So we'll go through this. Okay. So, Bill, um, he is, he goes for, um, it says, uh, uh, he, he's uh, war fever ran high in the New England town uh, to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned. So he's now, this is World War I, he's, um, I was part of life at last, in the midst of the excitement I discovered liquor. Excitement. right? Um, In time we sailed for over there, I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. Okay, so emotional. You know, it's excitement, it's loneliness. I definitely was an emotional eater. You know, I definitely ate, just like he drank. And then um, he comes back from the war, um, and he's now... Really has this drive to succeed. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprises for which I would imagine manage with the utmost assurance. And um, I know that, like when I started out at my first job out of college. I thought I was going to be the first female executive at this company. I was going to get my own my name on my park on my parking space and mm-hmm. I was going to, you know, that I, that was me. I was going to be important. Just like he said on page 2, I'd prove to the world I was important. And um as somebody who had a lot of self-esteem issues, my job became my value system. And so uh lucky luckily for me i did i drove myself and I became identified as a quote high potential employee and so there's my ego boost, just like bill he um he's uh he he's he's very interested here in the in the stock in in wall street um, but before that, we noticed that he has a little bit of an issue with the drink because he um, nearly fails his law course because at one of the finals, he was too drunk to think or write. So he's already, his drinking is already interfering with his job, right? So with me, my weight was already starting to creep up a little bit. Um, even though my mind, very bright, I'm working hard, my my weight is starting to creep up, right? So it 's a little bit of an issue, so maybe i didn't get quite the front line job, but they put me in the analyst job right so maybe i'm not front line with the clients yet, but i'm the analyst job okay so he's now he says um, business and financial leaders were his heroes, so he that's that's what he's worshiping right now, like money and and power and stuff, and for me, work was my god that was that was more important to me than anything else. Um, he uh, He says, "I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to weapons or to ribbons and For Bill, you know he used drink when when he was he would go around and he would meet with people to you know ply their lips to understand what was going on in their businesses and stuff. He used liquor and stuff. For me to to be able to work so late at night and everything, I would use the vending machine. I went to work and I ate I ate I ate my way and sometimes I worked late so I could eat from the vending machines, you know. Um so he went on and on like this. He continued to have success He's like I had arrived, right? Well, finally, I you know I helped land a big account, and so I got that big promotion that I really wanted, and I felt really important. I was meeting in the boardrooms too, and I was really finally part of life at last. Um, and because of that, work got very very busy, and my eating got you know more and more. And so he he says here. On page three, the remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row. I became a lone wolf. Well, I certainly had no time for friends. I had no time for dating. I don't think anybody wanted to date me at that point because I was, you know, over 200 pounds at this point. And and I think that was being noticed. Now, some people in my company didn't care because they were just, they they liked my productivity. They liked my, uh, the work I was doing. Um... But I wasn't, you know, and I was now with the clients, meeting with the clients and stuff, but that's not the same thing as being um, presentable as, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. Um, so I would say, like, the bigger that I got, the more isolated I got. Um, He, he goes in and he picks up golf as like one of his hobbies because it really allows him to, you know, drink um, and everything. And I didn't pick up a hobby to eat, but I definitely um, chose my social uh, social occasions around food. So if somebody would invite me out somewhere, I would think about, well, how long do I have to be with them and not eat You know, because I would never eat in front of people. So if somebody invited me out to do something for an hour, okay, I could do that because I could eat on the way there and then be there for an hour not eating and then eat on the way home. But if somebody invited me out for like a whole day thing, I couldn't do that because that meant I had to like be a whole day without eating because I couldn't eat in front of them. So those are things I would pass on. So my social life... Definitely was dictated by food, just like his was with drinking okay now the stock market crashes, all hell goes all you know all hell breaks loose for him he's finished um, he's you know he's disgusted that people are jumping to their deaths and he but he's and he's not going to he's going to go to the bar right same difference um and he said, as I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Um, and for me, it was when we lost that account, that big account. So now all of a sudden, that big important thing that I had like helped to bring in, now that's gone. Now all of a sudden, where's my importance? It's not there. Now I have no cover, right? So now it's like, okay, well, I guess I better... I guess I better have some other value here. Uh, Maybe I need to lose some weight. So my diet determination came in, you know. And so now I'm trying to do that dieting thing, which I had tried so many times before, but it never really worked. Never really worked. Um, So he he goes and he's... um, this is when he goes into, uh, he's, he loses his job, he stays broke, he goes and lives with his wife's parents. Um, and he says, I was to have no real employment for five years. He's really spiraling down now. And, um, and for me, my jobs, you know, I, I didn't lose my job, but I got relegated to less and less important work. And my, so my self esteem got less and less. And the food just became so, I mean, at that point, it was like work and food kind of like were even with each other as far as importance to me. But at that point, food became so much more important than work. You know, food was my only obsession. Work wasn't my my dual obsession anymore. It was just food. And here on page 5, Bill has, I think this is, if he hasn't reached his point of no return, he certainly has here. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And for me, that was chocolate, you know. I had to have it all the time. I had it in my purse. I had it in my car. I had it in my desk. I had it in my bedroom. I had it everywhere. Um, And... You know, he, he said, this. you know, this went on endlessly. I began to waken very early the next morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. I had to have candy in the morning, like, just to, like, rouse myself out of the lethargy from the binge I had the night before to put me to sleep. So that was... You know, that was that was how it was. Now, there were periods of sobriety which renewed his wife's hope. For me, there was those Monday mornings when I had cleared out the Sunday night before the house of all the junk food because I had that diet determination that tomorrow was going to be another day. What was that in uh, Gone with yeah. the uh, or yeah. yeah, Gone with the Wind. Tomorrow is another day, whatever. Um, yeah, so Monday was going to be the day was going to be the diet to end all diets, and um, you know, so I would start out uh, Monday morning, and I was, and I, and the house would be clear, and everything would be clear, and I was going to, cl- I cleared everything away, and then that would last about uh, an hour, maybe, and then I was running for something, um, but maybe it would maybe it would last a day sometimes it would last a day um, but usually by that, by that time it didn't even last a day gradually things got worse um, so he said I woke up it had to be stopped Shortly afterwards, I came home drunk. He kept making promises and and coming home drunk. And for me, it was the same thing. I kept making resolves and going on diets and breaking them and, you know, and then coming into OA and getting a little bit of time and then leaving the rooms, getting tired of doing the hard work of of the program and stuff. I wasn't recovered. I was just using the group and using the tools and thinking, and never really recovered, never having that relief. Um, and it was just, I had that same that same feeling of um, agony that he did, and you know, people feared for my sanity. My family did an intervention for me to try to get me back into OA at one point. And, you know, when Bill says he was 40 pounds underweight, well, him being 40 pounds underweight and me being 200 pounds overweight is no different. You know, they're both very unhealthy conditions. Uh, so then he he goes to the hospital for the first time, and he, and he understands. He meets Dr. Silkworth. He understands what his problem is. And he thinks that now he knows. He has self-knowledge. Well, that to me was like when I came into OA and I finally understood that I was an addict and, and, I, and, I, and I got it, right? Um, and, I, and I finally read the doctor's opinion and I got it and I understood what my condition was and self-knowledge was going to fix that. Mm-hmm. Well, it didn't because I didn't give myself over to this program fully And so that frightful day came when, you know, I ate once more and man, did that dark year happen. I had the darkest year where I just binged for like a year straight. It was so painful Um, and, you know, that loneliness and despair, that self-pity and quicksand he talks about, alcohol being his master, food was my master. Food. I mean, it was so dark. And I'll, I'll end with this. When he talks about coming back from the hospital a broken man, fear sobering him for a bit, and then came the insidious insanity of the first drink. Um, in June of 2010, I had an episode. I drove myself to the emergency room. I thought I was fa- I thought I was having like a going into a diabetic coma. I didn't have diabetes, but I didn't oh, because I hadn't been to the doctor in so long. But I felt like I was blacking out. And I got there. They took my blood sugars and everything. And then the doctor came in and said, um, "Your your sugars are fine, but your blood pressure is two hundred over one twenty. You have high blood pressure." And I said, "No, I didn't. No, I did And she said, "Well, you better follow up with your doctor." And I said, okay, so, you know, I could have, I was like at the point where I could be stroking out with this blood pressure And and that scared me. It really scared me. That was June. Well, I binged from June until October when I came back into these rooms to stay. So yes, I understand this disease and it's done to me what it did to Bill. And at that point, that's my step one story and how I relate to Bill. And I'll pass that back over to you. Okay. Thanks, Suzanne. Um, so now we're going
0: to jump ahead to There's a Solution. Um, and in many ways, There's a Solution is just kind of uh, reiterating uh, the doctor's opinion. It goes into a little bit more depth. And I like how it starts out with, in the very first paragraph, it says, you know, nearly all of these people, uh, thousands of men and women have recovered and they've solved the drink problem. You know, they they start off with that hope, like, we have an answer here, so listen up. Um, And then at the bottom of the page it says, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. And I love that because you know, so many, so many times I hear in OA, like, oh, um, you know, we, we all identify or we the reason why we're um, a, a cohesive group is because we have a common problem. And that's not true. It's not, it's not 100% true. The entire truth is that we have a common solution. Yes, we do all have the same common problem, but we would not, like, uh, the doors of OA would not, I don't think, would still be open if we didn't have a solution. You know, like, okay, yeah, we're all going to come in and complain about a problem. That's a diet club. Um, so I love that it, it focuses on the solution And I need that because you know Inherently I'm more of a negative type personality And I always have to you know, remind myself Or be reminded Focus on the solution Focus on the solution um, And then it says we have a way out Which we can absolutely agree um, Upon which we can join in Brotherly or sisterly And harmonious action And I underline action because it's not a thought, you know. Um, it's not that we can come in and think, "Oh yeah, like I, you know, I did all those things um, to other people, and I probably, you know, should probably start acting differently. I should probably put down the food. I should probably go to a meeting." I, you know, it's not thinking; it's action. All this, this whole program is about action. Um, so then, you know, on the page eighteen. It talks about how do we approach It start talking about how do we approach um, other alcoholics other compulsive overeaters and you know it says like, it talks about how and he's like reiterating the doctor's opinion where like psychologists have tried to help you know other people have tried family members have tried to help but it wasn't until someone that has that same problem talked to them that they could start to under to start to maybe soften up and say oh, you have the same thing I do, maybe I'll listen to you. There's just something about that common, like, oh, you really understand. You could have empathy, whereas other people have sympathy. Um, and for me, that was true as well, you know, to come in and find this group of people that said, yep, yep, I did the same thing, did the same thing, did the same thing, and here's what I did, so I'm not doing that anymore. Um, on page, top of page 19, they say we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. So in other words, yes, we have to put the food down, but that's just the that's very, very, very beginning, the very first thing, you know, basically step zero, put the food down. Um, a much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. So in other words... What do our lives really look like? You know, we can, we can put the food down and come to the meetings and say, yep, I'm abstinent, but what's going on outside? Are we still crazy? Are we still acting like a jerk, you know, to our family members, to our friends or whatever? What, what, are, what does our financial situation look like? Are we still, you know, for me, this disease affected every area of my life. You know, my finances were a hot mess when, when I first came in here. Um, and if I if I can't, you know, today say, and not, not to say that I have to be rich today, but that I have to have some kind of order, some kind of, like, I can't have chaos in any area of my life, or I'm going to go back to that food. It's just the way it is for me. Um, so then at the bottom of 19, they start you know, starts getting a little apologetic, like, well, you're probably not going to like this, but we're going to start talking about spiritual things. And, um, you know, again, like opening up that cauldron of debate. Uh, you know, like being entirely apt and to want our first cauldron of debate. And then the second one is, this is a spiritual program. You know, there's not a spiritual part of the program. This is a spiritual program. And this, this is what helped. This is how we solved our problem. Um, and there's so many times where it's like, even for me, I feel um, tempted to water down that part, you know, to make it um, a little more tasteful. Uh, if you will, for a newcomer, and you know, like, kind of like gloss over that part. Like, yeah, you got to find high power, but you know that's easy. Blah blah blah. Let's do this. But I'm really doing myself and them a disservice because that's like, and if and if if I you know if I really stop and think about it, the people that I've done that with and who have then since left, they weren't. They, I I I said that they did not. They were not ready to really, um, you know, get a spiritual solution, and. Um, that's what this program is If you're not ready to get a spiritual solution This program might not be for you Yet a, And I have to accept that um, you know, That's like my trying to control In a way um, So then on page 20 um, uh, this The first full paragraph at the end It says you, know, you may already be asking What do I have to do in other words, action, you know, not what do I have to think? What do I have to do? Mm-mm. And then this chapter, again, explains the different types of alcoholics. You have the, you have the normal, <clears throat> moderate drinkers. They have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. If they have good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. Um, you know, some i 've heard different um, things like i 've heard some you say like you progress, you start out being a moderate drinker, then you become a heavy drinker, then you become you know the alcoholic, same with eating, and I cannot think back to a time, even as a really little girl, that I was a moderate eater i think i 've always been an alcoholic eater like i don 't think i, I don 't think I went through any stages like I was just a, a compulsive eater, um, you know different other people might have um, different stories, and that 's fine. Um, you know, and then it talks about the hard drinker, um, so yeah they 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 drink more than most people. they might die a few years earlier, but if push comes to shove, they can you know put the drink down um, and then what about the real alcoholic? Um, here it is. he may start off as a moderate drinker, he may or may not become a continuous hard drinker, but at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control um, and again, like I feel like that was stage one that was stage zero for me I came out at that stage um and then he talks about like why like it starts talking about the insanity of like why is this person like why do they keep drinking like it's it's like a mystery um and on page 22 again like he's just going on and on like talking about all of the all of the things like and it's does it make logical sense why, you know, this person would continue to drink when they when the effects, you know, that on their lives are what they are? Um, and so it's like, what is it? What is it about these people? At the bottom of page 22, I wrote for me, abstain or live a crazy life. And that's it. Like, that's the bottom line for me. Um, because that is all of that craziness, all of that you know, non-logical stuff. That was my life. It didn't make any sense from an outsider looking in. Like, why would she keep doing that? Because I'm a You know, I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, on the top of page twenty-three, it says these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink. So here he's going to talk, start talking about the physical allergy. <clears throat> Well, I'm sorry, you can talk about the mental obsession, because if we don't take that first drink, um, which triggers the physical allergy, then we're okay, right? But why do we take that first drink? Because our minds tell us to. We have these crazy minds that say, oh, a little bit, you can just have wine, you can just have a little bit, or, um, you know, maybe it's not that high in ingredient list and it won't, it won't affect you or, you know, whatever it is that we rationalize to say, it's my birthday, it's Easter, you know, all of these things. Like our, if our mind is saying these things to us, then um, there's a problem. <laughs> and then it says the main problem of the alcoholic is um, centers in his mind rather than in his body. Mm -mm. If you ask him why he started, the chances are he will offer you any one of 100 alibis. Then it skips down a little bit. Once in a while, he may tell the truth and say, I have no idea. I don't know why. Um, You know, I have a sponsee that just picked up after 11 months. And um, I saw it coming because I could see that the spiritual, like, I, you know, like, it was just, it was a lot of anger, a lot of spiritual, like, not, no working on that. And um, she said, I don't even know why. I don't know what happened. I don't, like, I was just in a grocery store. I picked it up, walked out of the grocery store and ate it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, let's, let's, let's go back let's start reading these chapters. I know, you know why, you know. Um, <clears throat> and then on the page 24, at the top of the page, it says, talks about, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. We don't have a choice. If we don't put our alcoholic foods down, um, then this is what this is this is our fate, right? And it says we are without defense against the first drink. So now he's going to start talking about the spiritual solution, um, and it says, in all of these cases. Um, there's been a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Um, in other words, we haven't we've been we've been using ourselves as our, you know, first line of defense, first, second, third line of defense, and it hasn't worked. Um, at the bottom of the page it says he has probably placed himself beyond human aid. So in other words, I'm not gonna be able to help myself, my next door neighbor's not gonna be able to help me, like. No one is going to be a a humanist. I'm beyond human help. I need a spiritual help. I need a spiritual solution. Um, On the top of page 25, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confessions of our shortcomings, which the process requires, the process being the 12 steps, for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we have come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. Um, and then um, at the, in the middle of the page, it says, The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and our lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by my, ourselves. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. There's no door number three. I'm just going to skip real quick to the top of page 27. Some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Um, And then in the middle of the page, it says, um, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences, experiences, Um, then he talks too about um, people that are already religious, and but their religion hasn't helped them you know, overcome um, compulsive overeating or alcoholism. Um, and at the bottom of the page, it says, his religious convictions were very good, in his case, it did not spell the necessary, vital spiritual experience." Um, so basically, we've got to find a, we've got to um, our this spiritual experience, our spiritual solution, the. Uh, the higher power that we have has to be big enough, great enough to, for us to put our trust in that we're gonna, it's going to solve the eating problem, that I can take anything, including food, to this higher power, and it's going to work. And now over to you.
1: Thanks. Okay, so we just laid out that there's a solution, but if you're not buying it, we're going to tell you more about alcoholism <laughs> to let you know you're even more screwed. <laughs> so this is why you need that solution. Um, and and Amy talked about it in the doctor's opinion uh, and also in There's a Solution, and we re- and we saw it evident in Bill's story about how our body has this allergy, and the allergy is once we eat those foods that trigger us, we want more of them. And for me... You know, it's anything with sugar, refined refined carbohydrates, you know, you put a plate of brownies before me, uh, if I have one, I have to have them all, and then I need to, to go back to the bakery to get the rest of them. So, um, you know, that for me is the craving, and it doesn't matter that, that my stomach is like so stuffed full that it hurts, I need more. So that's the craving for me, that's, that's my reality. Um, That's the physical part of it. But the mental part, like why? Amy just talked about why have that first bite? Like, why do it? If I I could clean myself out, those times in my life when I've been able to clean myself out, why go back and have that first bite? Well, we're going to read about that here. So um, it talks about, you know, like we... So many of us have these countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people or eat like other people. That's me, like, trying to diet to be, like, a normal person. Um, So many times, you know, you sit around the table with your family or, or friends or whatever, and they can eat and do things that you can't. And for the longest time, I used to, like, either have jealousy or resentment or whatever against them because they could do what I couldn't. Now it's just like, well, it's just like... They can do things that I can't. It's not, it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Um, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Uh, yeah, I could. I could continue to go out there and try to eat like normal people until it kills me, if I want to. Um, that's the reality. That's, for me, that's the reality. I'll eat myself to death. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed, smashed. It's a delusion. I got to smash it. If you ever go to like a fun house and you look at the mirrors and it's all distorted and stuff, you know, if I thought that that was how I really looked, that's a, that's, a, that's a distortion, right? I got to smash that that's not that's not real. Um, we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control it should say never ever recovers control such intervals usually brief diets were inevitably followed by still less control which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization gained back all the weight and then some over any considerable period we got worse never better that's my experience for sure so this is still going more into um, all of the... On page 31, that paragraph about here are some of the methods we've tried, drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, blah, 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 all that. That's like totally the diet thing. I mean, you could substitute all the different methods that you've tried to diet. That's that's how I am too. Um, and then on um, 32, it gives you an example of a man who who was 30 years old and had a, had a problem with spree drinking when he was young, um, but he made up his mind that he was going to stop drinking so he could be successful in business, so he did. He quit for, like, 20 years, and then he retires, and he had a successful business career, and then he retires, out comes the bottle and his slippers. He's thinking, since he didn't drink for 20 years, he's okay. He, he can do it and then he has he's he's he ends up in the hospital very quickly and tries to quit but he can't and in 4 years he's dead so it just it just says once an alcoholic always an alcoholic he has that problem like if i want to th- if i think a year from now a month from now a week from now 10 years from now whatever that i can have brownies again that's the delusion I will never be able to have brownies again. It's not going to kill me, let me tell you. Um, it says if we are planning on page 33, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. I had a friend who said um, when she was 90, she was going to just eat the way she wanted to eat. <laughs> And I think, well, more power to you. I know if I did that, i 'd be dead by the time I was ninety and a half, um, because I would get so sick um, and i don 't know I wouldn't want to end my last years like that. First of all, not just the sickness, but just being disconnected from my higher power is a miserable is a misery i wouldn't want to be i wouldn't want to experience um, and it says that, you know, to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities that some of us have. This is particularly true of women. Uh, and, um, and it says, we who are familiar with the symptoms see large number of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. And I think about, because I came into the room so young, um... Had I known then what my life was going to be like later in my disease, would, I, would that have stopped me? Probably not, you know, probably not. Um, because self-knowledge doesn't stop you, right? I had to get, I had to reach my bottom. Um, I, I hope that uh, n- people don't have to get as mangled as I did to To be able to get to get this to see um, to see the um, the danger in this, I, the way I say it is like as as an addict, I'm getting pushed off a cliff, right? And there's less and less land between me and the edge of that cliff every time. You know, maybe when I started out, there was maybe a football field between me and the edge of the cliff. Now there's maybe a few inches. So that's, that's my reality. I don't have any wiggle room. I don't have anywhere to run. That's it. Um, but that cliff is there for all of us, right? If you're an addict, that cliff is coming. So it's either stop now, stop later, but the cliff is there. Um, it talks about these experiments about leaving it alone for a year, Um, and that type of thing to to decide whether you are one or not and they said but we think that maybe we can describe some of the mental states that precede uh, the drink so let's get into the the thinking and so they talk about this guy Jim who's a salesman I love Jim Um, he, he had this nervous disposition, he had this, he had owned this automobile agency, he had this family and everything, um, but he became really violent when he drank, and so he was, um, was went to the asylum. When he got out, uh, he, he met the people from AA, um, and he made a beginning. His family was reassembled, uh, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, and he found himself drunk several times. And so he knew that if he got drunk again, he could lose everything, including his family, who he loved very much, um, but he got drunk again. So he wa- they wanted to know what happened. So he talks about it. He says, I came to work on Tuesday morning. I felt... Remember, I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, nothing serious. I decided to drive into the country, see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry. I stopped at the roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which I was familiar for. I'd been going to it for years. I'd eaten there many times during the month. I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it wouldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. So, here, he's irritated. But first, before, let's back it up. He had failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He had made a beginning... And he had reassembled his family. So he probably got through, like, maybe step nine, right? He probably made some amends, whatever. Maybe he wasn't living in 10, 11, 12. I don't know. But he had failed to enlarge his spiritual life. He stopped working the program. And so he's without his defense against the first drink. If I don't work this program fully, when I wake up every morning, I am an unrecovered addict. Every morning I wake up, I'm an unrecovered addict. The only power that I have when I go out the door is the power that I have is my higher power. And I have to take I have to I have to take that on, bring that on in prayer every morning. And um I mean that's the only way that I can get through the day. So if I'm not if I'm not in touch spiritually, then then I'm in trouble. So if he's not you know spiritually grounded, he's going out into the day, he's irritated. There you go, bingo, trigger. He goes and he stops at a place where they're, where they're serving liquor. You're triggered, you're an alcoholic, and you're in a place where they're serving liquor. It's just really a matter, it's just like Russian roulette. It's Russian roulette. Is Are you going to drink? This time he does. I do think it's very interesting that he overeats first. <laughs> Maybe they don't notice that, but as a compulsive overeater, I do notice that. And I also do know that sometimes my other beha- other obsessive behaviors precede the food behaviors, so just an interesting note there. Um, so he had a lot of knowledge about it, but he pushed that aside with a foolish idea that he could have whiskey if he drank it with milk. And I've had some crazy ideas about, um, you know, how I could have my food and... You know if I just shaved a little thing off or if I you know if I heated it up really high or you know or if it was organically grown no pesticides or what you know whatever you know how that goes all those crazy rationalizations Um, there's little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences may be it's just insanity it's really what it is then they talk about the jaywalker, and this jaywalker person loves to go out and um, keeps getting hit by cars, then by trolleys, and like then by a fire truck, he gets his back broken and everything, you think, this is kind of ridiculous, right? It's a ridiculous uh, thing, but I think about that, like, I had this thing that, like, if I ate sugar-free candy, then it didn't really count. But the thing was, like, the sugar-free candy that they had, I had such a bad reaction to the sugar-free candy. It was so painful for me digestively that I couldn't eat, like, more than a couple pieces without having extraordinary pains. But I kept eating it. (laughs) And every time I would eat a piece, I'd be like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. God." And then once that would pass, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go. Have another piece, maybe if I have a piece this time, it won't hurt me, and then I have another piece, and oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, I won't do it again, I won't do it again, and then would I, would I throw the bag away? No, I wouldn't throw the bag away. That's my jaywalking. I would eat things that would hurt me, but I didn't want to throw that bag away. Um, and then you have Fred, who is this? business partner who um, who doesn't think he's an alcoholic and uh, wants to um, you know, has a problem, is in the hospital and then he uh, he he hears, he talks to the folks from AA and he's like all right I hear what you're saying I, I admit I have some of the characteristics but Thanks, but no thanks. I, I think I can lick this problem on my own. And we may have people that come into the rooms and m- might identify with some of the things that we say. But I, I don't think I'm quite as bad as you guys yet. So thanks, but no thanks. I, I I might come back. And then he goes and he has this perfect day and this perfect business meeting. And then what happens? He crosses the threshold of the ho- of the hotel and thinks... I might just have a couple of highballs with dinner, and goes and has them. It, it, not even a thought. That doesn't no no defense at all. And there he goes, and then he comes back, and he's escorted around town when he gets back by a taxi driver for for days, just in blackout drinking, and do, did, didn't even didn't even come to mind. No defense at all. Um. And. He says, I, not only had I been off guard, I'd made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. And I had that same experience. I was in San Francisco at a business meeting. Everything went fine. Perfect day. And I was clean of my substances. I'd been clean for like ah, a good eight months. Eight months clean. And I was in San Francisco, so therefore I needed to have sourdough bread, you know? So I had sourdough bread with dinner. And then after that, I was cruising Fisherman's Wharf looking for sugar-free candy, <laughs> which you know what that's going to do to me. Um, and that's, you know, that that's my experience. And then, of course, the real thing came in after that. <laughs> that, that didn't stop me. So... Um, so, and, and not even a thought, like not even a thought, like where did that thought come from? Well, obviously I hadn't really been spiritually fit, but that's, that, was, that was what happened. I just had not, the thought just, it just came into my head. It says, you know, uh, they said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way for some trivial reason for having a drink. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. And that's what my mind does, strange mental blank spots. It has to have those blank spots because otherwise I would say, no, you can't. You know what's gonna happen. No, my mind has to have a mental blank spot to, so that delusion will persist, so it can continue to get the fix it needs to get the relief it wants.